Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Well, hello there, Radio Land. Hi there. We are not on the road right at the moment, but we're going to be on the road all day today. Yeah, but it's just a little close-by roads, honey. We're not going to be out of the country or out of the state or anything. We're just going to be driving around on the Wasatch Front of Utah. And absolutely. Draper, and then we're going down to American Fork to speak at the American Fork School, which is an absolutely fabulous facility. It's going to be so fun to see them. We just love our life on days like today when we get to spend most of the day just hanging out with people who are trying their best to be good parents and good marriage partners and who maybe have a few frustrations like we all do and maybe need a few fresh ideas and maybe just need to sort of get away from their kids for an hour or two and go to a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we appreciate you listeners. Um, When we're just here today, we're talking on a little cell phone. Sometimes we're on a landline, sometimes we're in an airport. And you never know who's actually listening. And actually, uh, last week we were at a funeral up at my hometown in Bear Lake County. And it was so interesting because <laughs> we got to the funeral. And then afterwards, this couple came running up to us and said, we get XM radio way up there in Idaho. And um, we heard your program. And we actually drove by you while you were sitting in the car. Well, because we, we had said we're over by Linda's house where she grew up and on um, on Fifth Street, and so they drove right by, and they said, "Oh, look, there they are, sitting in their car doing the radio show." And they thought that was so funny. Well, we thought it was so, so funny too. We're so glad somebody's listening. We uh, we do often get people in strange places telling us that they hear this, and we appreciate XM BYU Radio. We thought today it'd be kind of fun since we're. Uh, in the mode of uh, how to do things, how to be a better parent, how to be a better spouse. It's all about how to, isn't it? We're all, we're, we're interesting creatures as humans because we want to progress. It's, it's inherent in us. We want to continue to do better. Sometimes, unfortunately, it takes the form of guilt. Oh, I wish I'd done better. Oh, that's my fault that my son's having a problem. Oh, dear. If I'd only been a more attentive wife or a, a more supportive husband, and we, we we waste a lot of negative energy on the if only uh, on the if onlys, and and really uh, we sometimes well, I think we should do this today, honey. To, when we start this uh, first meeting in an hour or so, we should have a ground rule: no guilt allowed, no no second guessing. Let's just take where we are, and let's just assume that we've all done the best we could, given our circumstances, given what we had, given what we knew, and let's just all see if we can think of a way to do a little bit better, because I'll tell you what, families are not a game of perfect. Families and being married and being a parent, that's just not a game of perfect. It isn't. In fact, we are reading together because we have a study group Tomorrow night, uh, we're reading a C.S. Lewis book called The Problem of Pain. And there is a big problem with pain. It hurts, but it is, it, he is so Not only physical amazing. pain, but, but mental yeah. pain, regret, exactly. guilt, all those things. That is really what he means. I mean, there is a problem, but the, the outcome when we have these painful experiences is that we learn and we grow and we, 
We become refined. We become better people. While we're going through it, you think, ugh, I'd give anything to have this taken away. But when you work through it, it's amazing the good that pain can do you. Well, and so often what happens in the human experience is that we... Uh, we are like people who always, we're like a cow that always, how's that for a comparison? We're like cows. We're like a cow that thinks the grass looks a little greener over there on the other side of that fence. And we we often think, oh my, I'm in the hardest time of my life right now. I've got all these kids. They're all so demanding. They all take so much time. Oh, I'm so worried about all of them. I'm just in the thick of it. Oh, it'll be nice in a few years when they're all grown up. But then, guess what? People grow up and they look back and long for those days when the children were underfoot all the time, when there were challenges that maybe they've passed now. The real key is to learn to enjoy the moment. And I think we're going to be talking a little about that in our speech in Draper today because their theme is brim with joy, taken from a verse in the scripture of the Book of Mormon, brim with joy. Do you think it's pretty a big, pretty big challenge, Linda, to feel like every day you're just brim with joy? Oh my goodness, I'm just running over. It's over the brim. My joy is so full, I can't even contain it. <laughs> I know. This morning, Richard woke up and he said, oh, look at this beautiful day. And I was just walking into the living room, and I said, you know what? All I can see is our dirty windows. You can barely see through our windows. From <laughs> I didn't even rain. notice. I just noticed, noticed it was we a gorgeous day. We can't even see the dirt. But look at that. I mean, we're sitting in our living room. You can barely see out of those windows. Now, Linda, that's a good analogy. See, that dirt on those windows represents guilt and doubt and worry and it prevents you from seeing what a beautiful day it is. <laughs> I know. You're so good at that. You're so good at not seeing dirt. I was just saying that to you. <laughs> it's one of my great gifts. You know, everyone has a gift. Mine is I don't notice dirt. <laughs> <laughs> you did see the floor today. my car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Your car is so, it's just hideous. It's terrible. How can you drive around in that car? Oh. Well, I always have in mind that I'll pull in a car wash one of these days, you know, when I just have a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, we live in a place that's just becoming spring, and uh, it really is so muddy. The snow is melting. It is just so muddy. And uh, we just, honestly, I keep driving my car through the car wash, and then it just looks exactly the same the next day. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> Um, you know, I think I think this is actually a pretty good lead-in to the name of the show today. Is, uh, it has to do with books. And we thought, um, you know, we're kind of in a retrospective mood today. We're kind of reflecting on some things. And we're thinking about how, how interesting books have been in our life. We want to tell you a couple of little stories because they have a parenting message. They have a a moral to them that may be helpful to all of us in our in our families. Um, I want to start way back, Linda. We, you know, we we didn't set out to be authors. We didn't set out to to do what we do now. Uh, Linda was a music teacher and a violinist and uh, taught music in the public schools. And I was a management consultant and tried to help people with their businesses. But you know, we started having those little kiddies kiddos as our 
daughter calls him, and and we started worrying. Like I think again, this kind of gets back to the guilt thing. We started thinking, you know, we're so busy, we're so tied up with so many things we're pursuing, and, and these little kids are growing up. Are we really giving them what they deserve? Are we really? You know, we say they're our highest priority. We know they are. They're they're the most important thing to us. We love them more than anything else on the earth. But are we really giving them our best shot? Are, are, are they just getting our leftover energy after we spend a whole day working or pursuing a career or trying to earn money or whatever? Are they just getting kind of the leftover energy? And we... We sort of, this is, I don't think we've ever sort of confessed this, Linda, but the first parenting book we wrote, we didn't have any high hopes that it would be, you know, a a bestseller, that it would uh, be a a book that a lot of other people would read. We wrote it mainly for ourselves. We we wrote it to survive. We had like four kids under six or something like that, and we just thought if we are going to do a good job with these kids, we've got to have a plan. we got to figure this out. We were hanging by our fingernails because it yeah. was so hard. We really were. And you, you wanted to bring to bear the things you knew as a teacher, even as a musician, because there's some interesting things you can apply from music to parenting. I wanted to bring to bear what I thought I knew about management consulting. I wanted to sort of view family and parenting as a management challenge, which it is. It's a, you know, uh, we speak a lot to business people and most of them will tell you managing a business, running a company is nothing compared to running a family. The complexities are so much greater in the family. Plus you can't fire your kids. (laughs) Yeah, darn. Um, There are some days when you wish you could, but you know, I, I think we, Often, I like, we went to business seminars a lot because you were in business, and I loved going to the sessions because almost every single thing applied about, about business applied to our family, how to manage things, how to make things work, um, all the psychology of um, customers and so on. It really was fun to apply that to family. That's really true. And so we, we produced a book way back, way back, we were living in, suburban Washington, D.C. at the time in Virginia, and we just kind of felt like, you know, let's, if nobody buys the book, who cares? We'll see it as a plan. Our kids were preschoolers then, and the book was Teaching Your Children Joy, and it was based on a theory that, it's not not our theory, it's a theory a lot of people have, that little kids who are not even in school yet deserve to have a real childhood. Don't be so pushy with the academics. Don't worry about teaching them to read when they're two and how to do square roots when they're four and getting them way ahead of their peers and so on. Because the research even then showed that uh, kids who are way ahead academically when they start school, in a couple of years it evens out. And some of them are even a little burned out and don't learn as well in school. And our whole thought was, let's just teach them joy, the social joys of sharing and service and friendship, the mental joys of how to set a simple goal, the emotional joys of just enjoying their their daily walk and loving nature and so on. And that became our very first parenting book. And then sort of the rest is history. It did become a bestseller. A lot of people seem to believe the same thing we had written. 
And that led to this whole career, which really was never anything we set out to do as full-time writers and, and speakers. And there's some interesting stories from that. And we want to tell you a few of them in just a minute. But Linda, just before we go to break, um, what do you think, what do you think about writing as a career and books as a career? Has it been a good thing for us in terms of our mental patterns and what we've tried to do with our personal lives? Well, um, I don't know how many listeners out there are writing a lot, but I, I have to say that it has helped me so much to write down, especially when I was frustrated. You know, I wrote a book when all the kids were home called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch because <laughs> I didn't plan on it, but man, they just drove me over the edge. And then to analyze that and write it down and write down some of the hilarious things that happened um, that created the witchhood and so on was so worth my time and my effort. And I think it helped a few other people too who were kind of witchy. Well, and you don't have <laughs> kind of witchy. You don't have to be a writer or a author to do this sort of thing. We know so many parents who benefit so greatly just by writing in a journal. Yeah, Just absolutely. by keeping track of what goes on. It sort of organizes your mind. It puts things in perspective. So really what we're doing on the show today is advocating writing. Let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we want to tell you a couple of stories we think you'll find interesting about where our writing led us. And even add a couple of books that our children have read, uh, that we've read to our children. Right. So we'll be right back after this break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. All right, we're back. We're talking about books and writing and how important writing is to our own well-being. I know some of you think you aren't really writers, but it is so great to have a place to write down what you feel and how you um, how you manage your life and your frustrations. Even just to let out your frustrations or your your concerns, we we've run into so many women, particularly women. Men should do more on this too. Who say, you know, my only solace, no one understands me. But if I sit down and I write in my journal, I somehow sort of cleanse myself. And when I get back up, I. I feel like, okay, I know what's going on. I've written it down. Now I'm back into the fray. Well, the problem is usually those are things we don't write down. I mean, we talk, if we feel yeah, great, we hold we euphoria, and we've learned something great, and we want to write it down. But the, the hard thing is it's hard to write down those things because you think maybe somebody will find it someday yeah. <laughs> and, and read how upset you were. But honestly, that is good for everyone. It's good for you. And it is good if somebody finds it and thinks, oh, I had no idea that my mom <laughs> went, was going through all this. Well, and let's tell you a quick story because one direction our writing led us to is we, we wrote this, this original series of books on parenting, Teaching Your Children Joy for Preschoolers, Teaching Your Children Responsibility, aimed at elementary age kids and teaching your children sensitivity aimed at teenagers where the biggest problem is they're so wrapped up in themselves and they need to get outside themselves and and notice other people. Then our publisher, who by that time was Random House, 
in New York uh, suggested, well, we need one more book in the series. We need a fourth book called Teaching Your Children the Values. We liked that idea right away. We, we were actually living in England that year, and we spent most of our time, other than running around seeing Buckingham Palace and going to Wimbledon, we spent our time working on a book called Teaching Your Children Values, and we were pretty happy with it. We felt like we'd hit on an interesting formula of having 12 values, one for each month. The theory being, you're a busy parent, you can't think about all the values all the time, but what if you focus on one value for the full month? Like in March, we're working on honesty, and then in April, we're going to work on respect, and in May, we're going to work on self-reliance. And it sort of worked for us because, you know, we felt like if we had a focus, then everything around us would teach that joy. We could look at TV and there'd be an example of honesty. Or we could talk about a kid who, had, one of our kids had a friend who who shoplifted a candy bar. We could talk about honesty and so on. And since it worked so well for us, we put it in the book and we were pretty happy with it. And we got our 12 values. We came back from London to New York. We went in to meet with our editor who I can still see in my mind. I, I can remember her name, but I won't say it because she's, <laughs> sort, of, be there. she's <laughs> sort of the villain in this story. And we presented these 12 values to her, and she loved 11 of them. Right. <laughs> she thought it was so great. And, and uh, she, as she was reading through, she said, I love all these, except there's one chapter that I just, I, one value that I just can't go with. And it's the value of, Fidelity and chastity. And it really, we said, really? And she said, yeah, fidelity and chastity are just, they're old-fashioned words. This will make people feel guilty. This is an age of, you know, something very different than that. So if you could just leave <laughs> just that take chapter that chapter out. out. Yeah. We'll just have 11 <laughs> values. <laughs> I remember I said, well, there's a problem there. There's 12 months in the year, and we, we would like one value for each month. And she's like, well, think of another one then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did want us to think of another one. You know, we just looked at each other and said, are you kidding? In a world that our children are living in now, you want us to leave that chapter out? That is the most important thing that we could be telling children and parents. Parents could be telling their children right now. And we, we just can't do it. She says, well, sorry, we can't do it. We can't. We, we basically came to an impasse. We said it would be it would be dishonest, speaking of values, to do a book on, on values and not have any reference to sexual values, to moral values. To commitment. And, and, and she said, we, we, it was a long meeting. And it, got, it started out, it started out, I was thinking, we'll work this through. We'll, we'll change some of the wording, but we'll leave the value in. It became apparent that she was saying, no, we're not publishing a book with that chapter in it. And and we said, well, we're not publishing one without that chapter in it. And it got a little heated, and we ended up walking out. And then we got out on the sidewalk, and we're like, what did we just do? We just walked out. Our, we're, we're authors, and we walked out on Random House. We don't have a publisher anymore. Well, it was really... <clears throat> it was a really stark understanding suddenly of how important that value was. And just to make a long story short, we, we put it on the back burner and I don't did know. Did some other writing. Well, you ran for governor. Oh, yeah, we did a few lost, little things. And I was so glad he <laughs> lost. And so 
so then five years later, we just kind of resurrected it and thought, well, let's try another publisher. And so we went. Well, by then, our, our agent had, had found, an, you know, he had relocated us with another extremely well-known publisher, Simon & Schuster. And we went in and talked to them and found a delightful editor. And she said, you know, this book is really important right now for our children, really important. And I like all the chapters, but really the best one is Chastity and Fidelity. And I just thought, whoa. Bless you, sister. Wow. Bless you. We love you. I mean, two things. that that society had changed in five years. that uh, People were starting to come around and realize how important that was. But also, we just had a different person who was you know, a different background who felt that that was really, really important. Well, and the rest is history on that book. I mean, it uh, it was published, and uh, bless her heart, Oprah loved the book. We did a lot of TV shows. We did Donahue, the Today Show. We did Good Morning America. We did Primetime Live. We did all these shows, and the capstone was Oprah, who loved that book, and she put us on for a full hour and she kept saying you parents need to buy this book and <laughs> one week later it was a New York Times bestseller it was pretty amazing when we went to do the Oprah show now this dates us because she's off the air now but when we went with a bunch of little kids we had six kids three of our kids were gone two were on missions and one was overseas and so we took six and we on the way, I just thought, who stays home and watches TV in the afternoons? I mean, you know, I was so busy with my kids. We didn't know that 25 million people watched live every day for Oprah. Um, it, so it was quite an amazing experience. And nor did we know she was going to put the kids on the stand. We thought we were just going to do it. They didn't tell us very much. They'd come. We to thought we house. were going to do one segment for 10 minutes. We ended up doing a full hour with all the kids there on the stage. Oh my gosh, that tested our faith. That tested. We were praying so hard that we wouldn't have a knockdown, dragout fight live on the set of Oprah with 25 million people watching. The same kind of fight we had most every day in our own house. Well, no, because they put our two youngest children right next to each other, who had never spent an hour in their whole lives without breaking out into an argument. But you know, they were kind of fascinated by the lights and so on. Our baby Charity was six, I think, and uh, Eli was nine. And Eli behaved himself. That was yeah. the main thing. But anyway, they were off on a little tangent. But the point is that uh, that book, teaching your children values, morphed into many different things. I mean, one of the things we learned is that when you have a, a New York Times number one bestseller, people come out of the woodwork. Why don't we make this into animation? Why don't we do this as a video game? Why don't we do this as, oh, we got so many ideas. Most of them didn't seem to ring true. And then along came some people, some of you listeners know, a guy named Marvin Payne, uh, a wonderful uh, uh, lyricist, uh, Stephen Cap Perry, and his wife, and it just went on and on, and before you knew it, we had uh, some people saying, let's do an audio series on the wonderful values, these 12 values. And it became just a sensation. I mean, it, it became a thing called Alexander's Amazing Adventures, story of a little boy who was just like any other little kid. He goes to school, and, he, and, then, and then things happen in these stories where he morphs into the king 
of inland, the prince of inland. And, and by being honest, he saves the whole world. And then he's back in his classroom, and the same thing applies to not cheating on the test or the month. In fact, Linda, the most interesting one they ever did was the uh, the one on fidelity, fidelity and chastity. I thought that was We thought, they how are you guys going to teach that. that value to little kids? Because some of these tapes are going to be listened to by little teeny kids. And they did it with a metaphor about a flower that would only grow under certain conditions. And, and the metaphor was that fidelity and chastity is like that flower. And, it, and then little kids listen and think it's a great, funny story. And then as they get older, they, oh, I think I know what he's really meaning. And so it was really lovely to see that happen. And this is actually pretty timely, Linda, that we're talking about it today, because right now, um, for the first time, all those stories, you don't need to get a tape or a CD or a, Anything like that, they're just right online. You download them on your phone. You play them in your car. Your kids listen to them over and over and over. Kids will listen to these things for 20 times. You'll be so glad when the next month's over, so a different one, it's a different month and a different value. You can quit listening to that thing that your kids have been playing and playing and playing, and they're they're actually on sale right now. We just noticed the other day, if you go to valuesparenting.com, all one word, valuesparenting.com, right on the top banner, you'll see that there's a sale right now on these values, which came right out of that book that almost never got published because of <laughs> that one chapter. Yeah. We can't forget the Hoffmans, too. They did such a fabulous job. Oh, they were fantastic. Roger and Melanie Hoffman. Oh, my goodness. They, we don't take any credit for this. We gave them the book, and they just came up with, this little team came up with the most amazing things. So, anyway. for each chapter. um, Before we leave you, I have to say, you really need to, um, speaking of books, read to your children. Read aloud to your children. The more you can read, not necessarily our books, and our books are free now. You can go to irisfreebooks.com, and those books that we mentioned are all, those first books are all on there free. But, you know, read read anything. Uh, I just sent a, a little book to one of our grandchildren, Little House in the Big Woods. Go back to the classics and read to your kids, because books are so crucial to our lives, more than we know, and our life, more oh, than man. we know. Aren't we all glad for books? And even if you have them on a Kindle, that's okay. So we're giving you some homework today, two things for homework related to books. Go to two websites. One is IresFreeBooks.com, and you'll get most of our books are now there for free. And two, go to valuesparenting.com and look into the Values book and the once-a-month program and the Alexander's Amazing Adventures. May books be a wonderful part of your life, not only the ones you read, but the ones you write when you write in your journal. And may we all use books to become better at the most important thing in our lives, namely our families. Good luck with that. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.